Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told them the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. And you know what, guys? I told you UFC 280 was going to be huge, and guys, I really thought it delivered. In the first half of today's show, I'm going to give you my immediate reactions that I had on Saturday night following the end of the main event. After that, I'm going to push the ball forward to talk about some of the biggest storylines coming out of the evening, like Islam Makhlchev's popularity. 
Dana White's comments about Conor McGregor and more. Guys, let's get into it. Where should we begin? I mean, where should we begin? And how many different emotions are you guys having right now? There was more storylines going in to UFC 280, and there's more storylines coming out, right? That's, that's when you know a card delivers, by the way. I know it's presented to you, the audience, that you love action and that you love finishes. I, I know people keep telling you that to the point that you start to believe that it's true. If you want to know what a good card is, okay, there's only one thing that drives business, which is anticipation. 2F, 2FC 280 had it. Now, how do you know if a card delivered? It's not by knockouts, and it's not by submissions, and it's not by fight of the year candidates. I know you're told that to the point that you believe it and you tell it to other people. That isn't the real test. Do you have anticipation going in, coming out the back end? Do you have storylines? If you got resolution to everything, you've got a problem. If you have a match that you can go and line up, okay, good job. But in this case tonight, guys, five we have five different storylines. So now 280 gets to live on. 280 gets to continue. Here, I want to start here, guys, because I want to start with Aljo. Now, I've been very open to share with you guys my personal relationship with both Dillashaw and Aljo. I I've admitted that as a way of trying to protect my bias, but that doesn't change the fact that I have a bias. There's nothing I can do about it, even if it's subconscious. Now, one thing that I learned about TJ Dillashaw, and I brought to you, because he looks like such a nice guy. TJ's this handsome guy. He's a well-fit guy. He's a wonderful athlete. He's an educated man. He married his longtime sweetheart, right? I mean, TJ, it's just straight out of a fairy tale. One thing I learned about TJ when I went and watched him train is he's mean. I mean, that's a hell of a word to use. Because in most walks of life, I just insulted him. Well, if you're in the fight business, no, I did not. I just added something to it, but I'm just sharing with you guys, TJ's mean, TJ's tough, TJ inside, and you go back to his college days at Fullerton, did not reach his goals. Story that I have never shared with you was being at the Pac-10 tournament and having Dillashaw a limit. I've never shared this story with you. I was just a fan. I just happened to be there. TJ was younger than me. I was back and watching, but seeing him eliminated and not being able to make it to the next step, and his whole family around him, and the entire family in tears, including TJ. I never shared that story with you. I don't say that now for any other reason than to help that that would explain how TJ Dillashaw, who had a very rough life and a rough career, just is. That of a college wrestler, it's rough. You're not having the good times. You're not having the fun. You're tired nonstop. And the only thing you have to look forward to is tomorrow at 3 when you got to go do it all over again. His college career ended in a huddle-up with his family, sobbing. And this is one of the reasons that at 36 years old, just shy of 37, he can still compete at this level. And when the going gets tough, you're going to come down to how bad do I want it. And we will all be analysts that come out there and want to tell you how good a guy is or how good his opponents were or what his ranking is or how many things that he's won, how quick his jab is, how good his takedowns are. That stuff's relevant and it's fun in the first five minutes. In the very first round, athleticism comes into play. After that, you're in a tough guy contest. You either have to want it, you have to want to be there, it has to matter to you or it doesn't. 
And for a lot of guys who achieved their goals early, they won those state championships. They won those NCAA championships. For a lot of those guys, they don't want it because they don't need it. They don't need it because they've already had it. TJ Dillashaw had a shoulder go out 30 seconds into a match in front of the world against the champion. That is a nightmare. If any of you had done wrong, you've done something wrong, whatever the violation, but if you did wrong and I was the judge and I could sentence you to two years confinement or, and I let you choose, or you have to go in there in a cage with a guy your size who's the baddest dude in the world, which would you choose? Because, right, I mean, you see where that's an actual thought. So when I tell you that this is a nightmare, you then are going to have one arm behind your back, which is what TJ did. He's out there with one arm. One arm is of no use. You're out. You're done. You look to the corner. They wave the fight off. You tell your story at the press conference. You get on a jumbo jet and you head home. Because it's not going to change. TJ sticking around and staying out there doesn't change the outcome. He is for sure going to lose. He's taking on the best guy in the world. Oh, and by the way, he's only got one arm. Well, that's not the way TJ saw it. He did hang in there. Apparently, to the fact that he told the referee, Mark Gardner, in the back, hey, ref, just so you know, my shoulder goes in and out a lot. If it goes out, which it's likely to do, don't freak out. I'm used to it. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that the referee had, right? The referee can still do his things. I'm just sharing with you that T this wasn't a freak accident. TJ expected this to happen. That would be a nightmare. He walked out there anyway. When it did happen, he continued on anyway. After it happened, there's a break, one minute, where he's with his corner and his doctors, and he assured everybody, I would like to continue on. I'm just sharing with you. TJ Dillashaw is something special. And he does need to be looked at for that, in addition to the fact that if he would have won tonight, it would have made him the first ever three-time champion of 135 pounds. Three-time, three-time, three-time champion. Very incredible. And before we use as an excuse to take away from Aljo, you do have to remember how I started this speech, which was 30 seconds into the contest. 30 seconds into the contest, that shoulder went out. Well, what happened in those 30 seconds? Aljo landed shots. Aljo slipped shots. Aljo closed the distance. Aljo sprung. Aljo took him down. There's not another time in TJ's career, a two-time champion coming in tonight, there's not another time in his career when he was in that much jeopardy 30 seconds into the fight. Really a remarkable spot. I mean, even the night that Henry caught him and put him away, before you think you have to correct me and tell me about the 18 seconds, I, I can read a clock too. Getting hit and getting hurt is the same thing as being in jeopardy. It was just an incredible performance because when we talk about storylines, you do have the story of what do you do with TJ? My son watched this fight with me and my son turned to me and said, Dad, did he just retire? And I said, I don't think so, son, but I couldn't come any stronger than that. TJ said everything that you would say at a retirement event except for the word retirement. I don't know where TJ goes from here. If he comes back, he's going to be very sought after. We know that. Guys are going to be coming for him. It means something. But does, does he want to do that? Does he want to start that back over? Interesting weight class. Interesting spot. Aljo's the king. And right, nobody's a star until they're the star. 
Nobody's over until they're over. And you need certain nights and you need certain performances. I think Aljo's, in conjunction with the dance afterwards, in conjunction with the shot he had with Daniel Cormier, in conjunction with the fact that it appears he's drawing to Sugar Sean, I think maybe the big coming out moment for Aljo Stardom to be over, to be sought after by you guys, I think perhaps it was tonight. Sugar Sean O'Malley, Sugar Sean versus Peter Young. Listen, guys, it's the truth that will set you free. I know that you've heard that. But you've also heard me tell you, you don't owe the media anything, including the truth. Don't answer questions, handle questions. How do, when do these two come together? Well, at a time like tonight, a time like tonight with Sugar Sean where you lost the fight, but you won the decision. It's not your fault and there's nothing that you can do. It's not for us to all try to weigh in, which is always what we do. We always want to weigh in, but we have three licensed officials who are putting their reputations and their careers that are important to those three officials. They're putting them on the line. Two of them said he did win. And that's how this game is played. Therefore, he wins. Now, you still have to handle that the right way. And, and I have to give credit to Sean when they asked him, did you think you won the fight? And he went dead silent. He was dead silent for two seconds. And two seconds of dead time when there's a stick in your mouth and the, and the camera's rolling around the world, it's an eternity. And then when he did answer, he said, I didn't know. And that's as honest as you can be. There is no point and there's no advantage of claiming victory when you didn't have it. There's no point in working up a storm to come against you and push the narrative when you have a press conference in an hour. There's no point in doing that. There is a massive point in enjoying your moment, not criticizing anybody, and getting the hell out of there as quickly as you can. And that's what he did. I've got to give him a lot of credit, right? I mean, Sean's a young guy. For him to understand that in that moment is not something that I believe that was strategic. I don't believe it's something that he planned for. I don't think he did know it. I think that was the real Sean and he answered. It turns out the real Sean's a straight guy. Sean O'Malley looked awesome in that fight. Peter Yawn just might be the best fighter in the world. That is heavily debatable. It's debatable to the point you want to talk about the three judges. Go back one fight where Yawn was the world champion. One of those judges said he was still the world champion. Right? I mean, it's, it's close. There's an argument there. He might be the best in the world. O'Malley ended up being, now I'm going back to Wednesday of last week. I realize I'm going back three days, but he was a four to one underdog. He was supposed to get massacred. Oh, and by the way, this was supposed to be a stand-up fight. Now the guy that goes out and gets the takedown gets credit for it. The guy that can get on top and stay on top and keep the opponent down gets credit for it. But we also do understand one thing which is while 80% of fights go to the ground, 100% of them start standing up. So the guy that went out and got the takedown prior to getting the credit had something by his own admittance he didn't like. You do not go for a takedown to put the fight in a different realm if you like the way it's going on your feet. That's a concession. That concession was also accurate. Sugar Sean wasn't just beating him. Sugar Sean was kicking his ass. Sugar Sean is one of the... He's got great kickboxing. And there, there, there's a big... Team Sean out there, right? Even Dana White's talking about this guy could go on to be, in a short period of time, the biggest star in the UFC. We understand that. You've got this big wave, but that wave is then met with an alternative wave saying, hey, he's not that good. He's a star, we admit it. 
He's interesting on the microphone. We admit it. He works hard. He plays the media. He does his own thing. We admit it. But his skills are limited. That's real. That's out there. Sugar Sean just beat Yawn. Hold that thought. I don't want to have the argument. Because less of an argument is my next statement, which is Sugar Sean outstruck Yawn. That's true. That's not a debate. I mean, those are simple numbers, right? Bump, bump, bump. How many times you hit me back, right? That, those are pretty simple numbers. I hurt you. How much did you hurt me? You're covered in blood. I'm covered in your blood. I mean, some of these things are beyond a debate. They just happen. We don't need somebody's opinion. Sugar Sean also learned a couple of things, right? That triangle choke isn't always going to be there. No matter how long your legs are, you're going to need different setups. When you're going for a triangle choke and the guy stops it, don't continue to force the choke or freeze the position, Sean. Start landing elbows and mixing things up. Those are things that he learned tonight. Takedown defense, the importance to having good hips, to keeping a guy up. Those are things that he learned tonight. That's all right. Jan learned some things himself. But Sugar Sean ultimately told the truth. And all telling the truth in that moment, all being a real guy is all that that does is it stops the conversation right there. The cover-up is worse than the crime. Don't cover it up. Here's what happened. Everybody will move on. And that new conversation is going to be about him getting the opportunity to fight for a championship after beating Yon in what we were told ahead of time was likely a number one contender's match. Aljo needs an opponent. Aljo's going to want that fight with Sean, right? Aljo's got everything he's got except his celebrity. He's to the top of the mountain. He's now got the offense if you want to default back to the Matt Hughes theory. He's got a pocket full of money. He's got a beautiful girl that walked in there with him. He's got a team around. He's got everything he wants except for the notoriety. That's what he wants. And he understands that Sean can help get that for him. So I think that Aljo's going to be a very willing participant. I think that all of us are going to realize it's really not all that fun to talk about who should have won. There's nothing you can do. It's done. It's over. And that we all need to move on. I think we're going to move on in the direction that we were promised, which is O'Malley with a victory fighting for a championship. I think that that's the story that's going to win out the day, even if we need to wait a few days to get there. Chef, guys, here's what happened, okay? I'm at home last night, and I'm covering the fight, and I'm doing some selfies here, getting the Instagram ready, and I get a tweet. I get a tweet from somebody claiming to be an MMA source, right? I mean, they didn't use their name. This wasn't like John Doe. This was this was MMA Express or something along these lines. And he says to me, hey, Chill, what do you think the positive benefits are going to be for Charles Oliveira now that he's had eye surgery, and he sees perfectly. I did not know that happened. I mean, that sounds like a very massive story. I would have a lot of thoughts on that. That is a very curious point. And I wrote the guy back, and I said, what is your source? But when I wrote in that bag, I had about 10 people weigh in and provide sources for me. Now, the source was interviews of Charles Oliveira himself speaking about that and showing Charles at press conferences and media days and doing autographs and these things without wearing his glasses. Well, that's interesting. That's a very interesting detail. Now, it came in a little bit late, and I don't know that we need 
to digress, but certainly that would be a positive. If I asked you guys to go in a fight and you had to uh, cover your eyes or even just lightly, and then you got to take your hand down, you know which one you would rather, if you were in combat, be actually doing. Okay. The bad news is this. Okay. And this, this is very bad news. For the people that were willing to overlook Oliveira's record, eight losses. For the people that were willing to do that and were attempting to say this is the greatest fighter in the world, not only at 55, we should give him the belt. Like, that that was a talk. Not only do we give him the belt, we put him the best ever. Forget about Khabib being 29-0 and and forget about Oliveira's losses. This is the best ever. I actually am not against that argument. In terms of, I don't think a 29 and 0 is better than 18 and 8 just because one says 0 and one says 8. Like, I'm open to that conversation, but we had people that were saying, to hell with all of that. This is the greatest. This is the pound for pound great. He's going to destroy Islam. As a matter of fact, Islam doesn't even belong in there. Islam should not even be the number one contender. I mean, this was a really real conversation. And for that side, I just need to ask them nice and calmly, right? I don't want to shout at somebody because they have a different opinion, but I want to ask them real calmly, do you really believe that? That there is nothing that has gotten Charles the bounce and the notoriety and the stardom like his last three fights. And if you watch those last three fights, you go, oh my goodness, this guy is amazing. Is that really what you saw? And I would ask you that because in those last three fights, I saw a guy almost lose three times in a row. In his last three fights, I saw a guy almost get finished decisively by three different opponents. Did you miss that part? Now, I saw a comeback, and I saw grit, and I saw an overall skill set from the wrestling he showed against Tony to the power that he showed against Gaethje to the submission understanding that he showed against Oliver. Boy, I saw something special. Please don't mistake me. I saw something special there. But there was a belief that that was the, the, the best that had ever done it. A guy who three fights in a row was on the canvas with referees almost going to stop the fight. Now, I'm only saying that. I'm, I'm only bringing that to you because while getting those victories were impressive and helps to solidify your spot in the main event, there was questions on Islam because he hadn't had the same opponents. He hadn't had the same ranking guys. He hadn't had the same adversity. He hadn't had those same hard moments. Guys, where in sport would that come to any other conclusion than being an advantage. Because none of it's wrong. I, I would never dispute who had the harder path. I'd never dispute who fought and beat the better guys. I would just be factually wrong to make an argument about who had more ranked opponents. I mean, that's a number that we can go and find. And all of those things went to Charles. How is that an advantage? That is my question. Where in life would that ever be an advantage? Now, I was a tournament guy. I came up through tournaments. Every Saturday, you had a tournament. So you're taking on five and six and sometimes seven guys in one day. But when the finals came around, whoever had the easier path was viewed by everybody, including their opponent, to have a meaningful advantage. I get that that's all in one day. 
One guy's more worn down and he's a little bit more banged up before you get a hold of him and you didn't have all those same battles. I get where that one's really obvious. But why does it change over a career? See, fighting's not like other sports, guys. Any other sport, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Any sport except this one. The more times you get knocked down is the less times you're going to be able to continue to get knocked down. The more times that you got to go the distance, the more times that you got to come from behind, the more times that it's iron on top of iron, the duller that weapon gets. And I don't know how that was missed. There was a massive argument that Charles is going to win and he's going to win because he has had harder opponents. That's not good. That's a negative. Whoever reached the finals with the least path of resistance has the advantage. I don't know how that was missed. And there was a belief going into this fight that great jujitsu and great submission was going to win the day. Guys, I have a black belt. I founded Submission Underground. I mean, you know that I love submissions. You know that I believe in them. I certainly don't speak against my own craft of jujitsu. I'll just share with you. We within the community don't believe our best position is guard. It's the position we practice and we teach to others. If everything fails, you got to know how to fight there. And I only bring that because that is a misconception that nobody's understood, including through the days of the great Damian Maya. Damian Maya essentially reproved at a time that it really needed reproved that jujitsu is still king. But he didn't do it from his back. And I don't know how people didn't see that. I don't know how people could disagree with that. So when Charles Oliveira believes he's going to be on the back, or even says, I'll start the fight from my back, and people want to come forward and say, that's going to do it. Good guys don't get submitted from their back. That's the truth. And you can try to tell me that Nate Diaz just did it. Well, he might have ended up on his back, but that's sure as hell not where he found that position at. It's not where he locked his hands. I mean, I just, I'm just sharing for you. It's really important that you know what you're looking at. And there's a big question going into this fight. If Charles Oliveira gets taken down, is he going to try to find a submission, which is going to be a complete waste of time? And if Islam and team can get him to waste time five times, we're all done here and it's not worth time out because Islam's going to win the belt. Or is he going to try to get up? Talking about Charles here. And Charles looked for a submission for a moment, and then he stood up. It was, it was the high spot of the whole fight. That grounded moment, that reversal, return to your feet, pressure Islam, hips in, underhook, hold him on the fence, was the high spot of the whole night. I saw that moment said, my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen in these next 20 minutes. Charles is better than I thought. The mere fact that he did the reversal, the mere fact that he got to his feet, the mere fact that he got the underhook, the mere fact that he pushed him in the fence with his hips in, right? It's the way that he got him there and then held him against the fence. Charles was better than I thought. And that was going to get really interesting. We've been told how good Islam striking is. We haven't seen it. We've been told, though... We were told by guys whose reputations matter, guys that don't just come out and say things, right? Javier Mendez has never just come out and said something. Khabib Nurmagomedov's never just come out to say something. I'm trying to hype a fight. They've never done that. And these guys were vouching, saying his stand-up's good. Well, his stand-up was good. Those were good shots, and they were what we call tight. When you see guys, they got their hands down, and they're trying to look cool and get the oohs and ahs from the crowd. There's a time for that, but your, your career's going to be very short. You, you better hope that you're under 26 years of age.
Just for example, the guys like Mike Tyson that will go on and be remembered, their chin is down and their hands are up. And that's what Islam did. Islam had them down and up and he would throw and they would come right back here. He never, he never broke that position. It's one of the reasons that he wasn't in jeopardy on his feet. It's also one of the reasons that he could throw so much, including the shot to put Charles down. I enjoyed the match. But I love the storylines. I love the way that Daniel Cormier took control of that situation and said, get Volkanovsky in here. I like that. He didn't say, where's Volk? Could we have Volk? Could you let Volk in? He's got the mic. He's in the ring. He said, get him in here. That's the way to handle that. And then Daniel told him when Volk did get in there, you're not going to get too close with me. You're not going to get through me. That was a great moment. And both fighters respected it and they stood their ground. But neither one of these fighters balked. They didn't then do the handshake and the hug and, hey, you look so great. They did none of this stuff. They called each other out for a showdown. Who, what, when, why, and where? Apparently in Australia, apparently at 155, apparently Volkanovski versus Markelchev, and more importantly for the ranking of number one pound for pound, at least according to Volk. Volk let him know, you're bringing the 55-pound belt, but I got a title too which is the number one fighter in the world. I'm putting that, you're putting some up, but I'm putting some, something up and I'll see you soon. It was great. It was a great moment. It was perfect. If you come out of this card and we come out with all of these highlights, it's not the punches and the kicks that you're going to remember. As much as you think, I want to see two guys bang or I need to see fights finish. You've been told that, so now you believe it and you regurgitate it. That's not what you want. That's not what you like. That's not why 280 was such a success. It was because we now have somewhere else to go. We didn't play checkers and close out the night. We're playing chess, and the next move is to be made. And the next move at 155 is going to be Volkanovski versus Makhlchev. Okay, guys, so those were my thoughts from Saturday, and now I want to spin it forward to talk about Islam Makhlchev and his future, and then the bantamweight title picture. Are you guys going to love Islam as champion? I really want to know that because this wasn't the guy that you wanted to put in there. No matter how many people he had beat, no matter how many years he had gone unbeaten and did fall down one time to what we're calling a catch against an opponent who apparently is not within the organization anymore, we still didn't want him in that spot. As a matter of fact, when Charles Oliveira raised a stink about that, and said, I don't think that he should be the number one contender talking about Islam, said, I don't think that he's beaten the right guys to belong in this spot. We remained quiet. We didn't speak up for Islam. We saw it too. We knew competitively this was a very good match, and we even knew it was probably the right match, but it didn't have the star power. We didn't know much about Islam. We don't know what makes him tick. We don't know where the relationship to Khabib came from. I still don't. I don't know if that's a cousin I don't know if that's a family member. I don't know if that was just a kid in town that found his way to the gym. I, I, I still don't know. But because of those things, it's really hard to get on a bandwagon, right? Now, make sure I explain something to you. Because this sport is full of the fakest tough guys I have ever seen. I truly have not seen a sport with such fake tough guys as this one. Rarely, minority, uh, not majority... You will get a guy who will fight anybody. 
a true professional that is also a competitor. Professional meaning he he's within striking distance of weight every single day of his life. Professional meaning he's in shape every single day of his life. Professional meaning he is prepared and in compliance with every commission in the world should he need to fill out some paperwork. But then you get that guy that's a true competitor too, right? And you're going to know the tough guys from the fake tough guys. And you're going to know the competitors from the guys that are doing this for a living. Which is simply, can I get a commitment from you to fight on a certain date without telling you who the opponent is? That is the ultimate listmus test. And you guys are probably going, well, no, that's ridiculous. Oh, okay, fine. I won't turn on you. I understand it's the minority. I'm also telling you this is the test for who's a true tough guy. If a guy gets a call and they say, can you fight on December 10th? And the guy can give his response right then. Yes or no. Ah, my shoulder hurts. Yes, of course I can. Right then he can give his answer without asking against who. Now you have a tough guy. Those tough guys that are few and far between, as soon as they get a little bit of rub, soon as they get shined up just a little and they got some money in their pocket, all of a sudden go back to the other side of it, which is I need to make sure the date lines up. I need to know where that venue is. I must know where the venue is. I have to know the opponent. Is it three rounds or five rounds? I mean, you're going to get all of these different questions and that's fine, but you now have a professional as opposed to a competitor. When you have somebody like I'm describing, he is worth his weight in gold. To have a guy that you can count on, that is a marquee guy, who the audience will know, who you could insert against anybody and their people are going to be interested, is worth his weight in gold. But we, we don't have those, not as champions, ever. We don't ever have those, not as champions. Not as soon as he gets some money, boy, he's out of here. He's fighting twice a year instead of three times a year. He's got a nagging injury he needs to go and work on. Whatever it is, it's just the way that it goes. It's a piece of the psychology. I don't fault anybody. I'm bringing it to your attention because for the first time ever, we have champions. Oh, by the way, two of them. Oh, by the way, at the same time. Volkanovski and Islam. The only thing Khabib said to Dana White after this fight as it pertained to his client Islam is we want to be active. It's the only thing he's asking for. Not for more money, not for a negotiation, not for, hey, what about this participation clause in the pay-per-view that you usually give to champions? Nothing. He just said we want to be active. Now, we know that Volkanovski fits that bill. Volkanovski never should have fought Max for a third time. Okay, let me, let me stop you right there. Volkanovski not only fought him, he fought him on short notice. Volkanovski, the champion, risked absolutely everything against his absolute greatest rival. And he did it on short notice. Oh, by the way, somewhere he has a hand surgery, changes weight class, and was prepared to fight two nights ago in a different weight, in a different continent, against one of two men. Okay, Volkanovsky's for sure done it. So now we have two legit tough guys that are worth their weight in gold, and we're going to put them together. That's rare. And that's going to come with some byproducts that you're not going to like. By example, you've got your two guys that you can always count on. You're going to eliminate one of them. You have two guys that between them have beaten the last 32 men that they have faced. That won't be true anymore for one. The stakes are high. 
Islam is going to put up a world championship that he just won. But Volkanovsky is going to put up a number one pound-for-pound pound ranking. That's interesting to me. Islam, who doesn't need to pick a fight. Islam's needed to pick a fight one time in his life, and that was with Charles. Just to get opposite, just to get the opportunity. He does not need to pick a fight now. The fights are going to come to him. The positions and the posters and the marquee spots are now his. Chose, for his first time ever, to heckle an opponent when he called Volkanovsky short. When he said, where is that short guy? Oh, is he here? I can't see him. I mean, right, I get that that's simple. That's low-hanging fruit. That is comedy fire by Islam's standard. So now you get a face-off. It looks as though we're going to do the same. I mean, they're talking about Australia, guys. If I got a calendar out, if I did one level of research, I could tell you when we're going to Australia. I don't have that. But, but if I did, I think that fight's coming right up. I, I want to say they're over. I want to say they're there by February. That's pretty damn quick turnaround. It might even be January. So I'm only sharing for you, there is going to be a byproduct. That's the fight to make. And it's very hard because there's no scenario, there's no time frame in the history of this sport that goes back to 1993 in any organization. And boy, there's some powerful ones out there, even the ones that have come and gone. Where you could beat eight men in a row, some in featured positions, and not be named the number one contender, Benny Darush is who I'm referring to. There's just not a scenario, but we're not even talking about Benny for that spot, because we can't. Nobody's beaten eight guys in a row. Nobody deserves it more than Benny. All of those statements are true. But nobody's a sitting, reigning champion of the world with an undefeated record and a number one status, except Volkanovsky, right? I mean, it's just, it's one of those strange times. So as much as that fight is going to happen, as much as that fight needs to happen, which, by the way, by the way, guys, is a way harder fight than you think. I have seen the odds that are favoring Islam. I have seen all of those things. But I have never met somebody that's going to tell me how Islam does it. Islam's going to destroy Volkanovsky. I got it, and I heard it. Volkanovsky's not big enough. I, I, I got it, and I heard it. 145 and 155, just for the record, that's the same thing. If you don't see it that way, if you're scared of somebody because they're at 10 pounds on you, I mean, just... We're not the same kind of person. But how's he going to do it? He's going to outstrike Volkanovsky? Nobody's been even close. He's going to throw Volk down and keep him there? Chad Mendes wouldn't co-sign that statement. I mean, just for an example, he's going to hold him down. Max Holloway wouldn't co-sign that statement. Just for an example, is Islam better than all of that? Should Islam be the number one in the world? Well, according to Volkanovsky, he's going to be given his opportunity. Angles, spots, works, marketing. I talk to you guys about this every single day. And I tell you guys, you never have to do what I did. You don't have to be heel. You don't have to look at somebody else like Conor McGregor and think that you have to go out and be brash with a mixture of funny. You don't have to look at somebody else like Daniel Cormier, who everybody loved, and go out and just be a really nice guy. You, you don't have to do those things. You just got to be the first you. Now, you do have to do something. And if you offer me anything at all that can be an angle that I can use to promote or I could use to tell a story, 
I mean, three piece in a soda. Nothing was said. Three piece in a soda. You understand that though. Nothing was said. This wasn't a back and forth. This wasn't about who was wearing what at a press conference. This wasn't about a fancy line. This wasn't about planning a question with a media reporter that's friendly to you, having to mask it so you can knock one out of the park. There was no words whatsoever, but you see where that was effective marketing. Even, even for wrong, but you see the point. Rashad Evans built a fight against Tiago Silva based on a look in the back. Rashad had won a fight, he went to the back, he's headed to his locker room, and Tiago Silva looks over at him, gave him a look. Rashad took that to the press conference, and they got a main event out of it. I'm just sharing with you, you got to have something, and you're getting something from Islam. And he's none of the things that I just discussed. He's not a clever guy, he is not a funny guy, he is not a well-dressed guy, he's not doing any of the stuff that everybody else has taken. But he's a respectful guy. And he's a man with a purpose that lives on principle. That is doing his part to see through a mission and a job that started generations ago with his now deceased coach. At the end of that fight, Islam paid his respects and he took the belt off and he put it over Khabib's shoulder. He talked about Khabib's father, but Khabib specifically and what you guys have done, and this belt is for you. Now, in that exact moment, without letting an entire beat go by, Khabib, who is now in the position of leadership, he entered that in leadership, but now that 15 minutes it's going to him, now the cameras are going to Khabib. And that's going to work just fine. Bodini Brown was not famous, but did a great job getting the message of Muhammad Ali out there. Now you have Khabib, who is famous in front of a Muslim audience. What's Khabib going to do? How is he going to handle this? Is he going to accept the belt? Is he going to take that pupil and rub him on the head and pat him on the head? Say, good boy, you're here now that I'm not. I'm still the king. Is that the way he's going to let the story go? Because that's what Islam was prepared for within one second. And it wasn't a full second. Khabib who's now in the high-handed position because it's where Islam placed him without saying a word, took that belt and put it back on Islam. As the person who's going to decide this, as the person in the room who is the mentor, who you are going to show respect to and you look up to, you were the heir apparent to the throne that he left open. Khabib had all the power. And Khabib made his decision. Which is, don't give this to me. And don't give it to anybody else. You earned this. This is your moment. This is your belt. And you are the champion. Those are all things that Khabib told him and told us the audience. That's how he wants this perceived. When Khabib took that belt back without a word and placed it back on Islam. It was a very powerful visual moment. And everything that I just said, whether you felt something in your stomach, whether you didn't swell up in your eyes or not, no, I'm not saying that it would have had to be that powerful. I'm just sharing for you that happened and you saw it happen. And we did not come out today and talk about Khabib and talk about Khabib's late father. We talked about Islam. That's what we talked about. And we do that because Khabib pulled the air brake in less than a second and without a word spoken and put the belt back on Islam. Islam believed that belt belonged to Khabib. And Khabib corrected that statement. It was very interesting, guys. 
It was very, very interesting. There was a video that came out later that night. Something happened in the crowd. Chemayev and, and Akbar, and some people have said Akbar is Khabib's brother, and other people say that Akbar is Khabib's cousin, but I think that you understand the point. Akbar is very close with Chemayev. And then there's other things that we don't even discuss over here. I mean, like, there's political things with the Dagestanis and the Chechnyans. Like, like things can get really weird really fast, but there was some kind of a pushing match between Chemayev and Akbar. Now, I didn't see it, but I also didn't really see somebody that was at fault there. Chemayev came over to Akbar's space, that's true, but it appeared that Chemayev was asked to come over, that he was called over. So, I mean, I'm just sharing for you. I don't know that we need to figure out who the good guy here or the bad guy here is, but Khabib did a piece later that night about that incident. He said, I didn't like it. He said, that, that can't happen again. That puts us in an ugly light. We should not have any ugly light put on us. That event never should have happened. I'd like to apologize. He was apologizing to the whole world. And he went further as to say, because this is Islam's moment, and it was taken away from. It was taken away from with something negative. The most powerful part about the apology that Team Khabib put out, though, was who was in the middle, who was leading the speech, and who did all the talking. It was Khabib. It was Khabib. And if you understand that relationship, then you can understand why this was so important for Khabib to get the opportunity to Islam, not just to get the belt around him, to get the opportunity. But if you watch that apology video, you will also understand who stands where within their own hierarchy and why Islam wanted to show his respects to the king. It was very powerful, guys. It's an angle like we've never seen before. It's an angle that's not manufactured. It's not somebody coming out with a gimmick, thinking, okay, I got a good idea. Let me take this to the masses. Let's see how it does. If it works, I'll build upon it. If it doesn't work, I'll shift and go somewhere else. That's not what you saw. It was authentic and it was powerful. I just want to make sure that I brought it to your attention. Who should be next for Aljo? Who do you want to be next for Aljo? That, I think that's really what I'm asking you because there is a time when your opinion is paramount, but that time is right now. Once we start going in a direction, once everything starts to get settled in, and then ultimately we have about, about agreement, time for opinions is up, but your time is right now. Who do you want next for Aljo? I thought, guys, it was Sugar Sean. I mean, I thought that was done. I thought that we all agreed and that was done. Sugar Sean goes out, he beats the former world champion, he's the top draw, Sean's going to draw into it. I'm still not sure where we've reversed that, and it has me, it has a big pause for me for one reason, I'll get to that in just a moment. But is because the house booed, is it because a number of people did not agree with that decision? Is that why we just take it from Sean? I can't remember a time that we've done that in the past. I mean, boxing has made an entire industry out of this of the wrong guy winning a decision. And by the way, that was dirty and corrupt, and they robbed another guy. They just had an opinion on this one. It was a close fight. Most people, including Sean, thought that Jan won. But it turned out he didn't. And I'm just asking you, is, is that why? Is that why we're acting as though he doesn't then get to reap the rewards? That doesn't seem right to me. Because the rankings are going to show that he won. Sean's bank account is going to show that he won. Yawn's next opponent, which won't be going forward, will be going in a different direction, it's going to show that he won. 
Why why is Sugar Sean not the guy that's going to fight for the belt? What happened there? Sincere question. We get to the press conference. Dana White gets asked what's next for Aljo. He says, Henry Cejudo. Now, there's a little bit more to it. The way the question was phrased and Dana's response, there was a little bit more to it that made it clear that that wasn't a done deal. But he didn't say, well, we'll look at Henry Cejudo. We'll look at Sugar Sean. That's not what he said. And before I move on to the Henry Cejudo bit, let me back up. I, just, I gave you a tease a moment ago. And I told you there's a reason that Sean must move on. If Sean does not move on, which goes up, which I believe should be a world title fight, but if he doesn't do that, it leaves open the one possibility, it's the one thing Sean cannot let happen, which is a rematch with Jan. If you beat a guy, no matter how close, and particularly, whoo, got away with one, you don't go put it and risk it again. And I don't know that I would have a better idea, at least for right now. Now, I'm only 48 hours removed, right? I mean, forgive me. I'm sure an idea could come to me, but if you're telling me that Sugar Sean is not going to advance into the finals, I would first like to know why. What is different? We knew he was going to have a hard fight. We knew it would be a close fight. If he won the fight, he was supposed to. Well, all of those things happened. That would be my first question. But then I would be stuck with, well, where does he go? And where does Yang go? Yawn might be the world champion on any any given night. You put all of those guys in together, you do a straight line bracket, you do that three, four times, guaranteed Yawn wins that at least once. Can we all agree on that? So where do you put Yawn? Generally in this sport, we put guys that lost against other guys that lost. What guy that lost do you think you could responsibly put in there with somebody as good as Yawn? And do you think in a scenario, Jan coming off of this loss does not qualify to fight, say, Cheeto Vera, just by example? Which would be another interesting question. Henry came swooping in on a six. Sean seemed to be dismissed, and Cheeto was never mentioned. So should we take that comment with a grain of salt? Should we understand fights don't get made at post-fight press conferences? We have a history of that in the sport. Should we throw everything out? Should we acknowledge that the acoustics appear to be bad? It, it looked as though question and principle, in this case, Dana, but whoever was getting asked questions, it looked as though they were having a hard time hearing that night. Should we make too much of it? Because Henry Cejudo already has. Henry Cejudo's already made a video, and he's already come out, and he already said, Aljo Sterling, you're taking care of my belt. I'm coming to get it back. I mean, Henry swooped on this, as you should. Sean will have something to say, but he's traveling. Sean's somewhere up in the sky, flying back 20-some hours from Fight Island. He doesn't have access to you guys yet. He just hasn't struck. Cheeto Vera should have been the loudest voice in the room. I should not have seen a video from Henry Cejudo and not have seen five videos from Cheeto Vera. That should not have happened, but it did. And Sean does need to be very cognizant. Peter Yan starts calling for a rematch. Now, boom, he, they're going to get some momentum behind that. And it's very hard in this sport to stop things. And if you're in Sean's position, you have a really good argument for why you don't want to rematch him. Now, the truth is, hey, that was a close one. I got by him. I'm a younger guy, and I'm looking to move on. That's the truth, and there would be nothing wrong with that. 
But then you can play a little bit harder ball, which is why am I going to fight him? Well, if you beat him, you fight for a belt. That's what you said last time. You told me last time, if I beat him, I fight for a belt. I just beat him. Why am I going to do it again? I'm just sharing. I'm, I'm arming you for this. He needs to get ready now. The fact that it was only said Henry Cejudo, no talk of Cheeto Vera, and Cheeto has not spoke up, at least not that I've seen. Sean's going to need to speak up. He's on a jumbo jet. He's got no access to the internet. I mean, I'm just sharing with you that things are going to look very different a week from now. But is that the fight that you want to see? Because Aljo Sterling has a say in that as well. And Aljo Sterling hasn't responded to Cheeto Vera, and he didn't talk about Sean. Aljo talked about Henry. That's hard to stop. When you have a contender and you have a champion and you have a promoter, it sounds like you got to fight. And right now, other guys need to come in and disrupt this. If this lives, guys, even another four days. If the narrative of Henry versus Aljo with the co-signing from Dana, if that can get another four days and somebody doesn't disrupt this, that's the fight you're going to have. Maybe that's the fight that you want to see. But I don't want you to miss the psychology, and I don't want you to miss the moving parts here. I don't think it'd be clear who the top contender is. I'll share my opinion. I, I don't think you could even have a reasonable discussion and tell me Cheeto Vera shouldn't be next. I don't think you could have a reasonable, accurate conversation and tell me that as of Friday of last week, we were told if O'Malley won, he would be fighting for the belt. I think that you would be factually incorrect on that. And to act as though... Henry Cejudo returning for a belt that he never lost doesn't also carry a whole lot of weight. Look, I think you're in an interesting position. But if you want to see this play out, you want this game to happen, you want it to happen with, in the politics of the interweb, and you want the mandate of the masses to win out, you'd better start speaking up. To close out today's program, Dana White addressed the media after the fights, and he said the following about Conor McGregor. Speaking of USADA, it appears on the database that Conor McGregor hasn't been uh, tested this year. Would he have to complete six months before he can compete? Yeah. That yeah, yeah. So he, he can't return until six months. Of right. All right. Thank you. I'm excited to see how Conor is going to maneuver his current situation. Now, Connor's current situation is the same as his old situation, which is where he doesn't do his finest work in the cage or on fight night. He does his finest work on a daily basis with the media. In the minds of you, the fans, but Connor's got in a unique spot. He's in a unique spot in that it has been revealed he is out of the USADA testing pool. Re-entry into that pool. If you don't have any pre prior infractions, re-entry into that pool is four months. Now, you guys might be reading something different. I might be right. They might be right. It might have changed. Right now, just by example, I read on one of the dirt sheets that it's six months back. Six months back, but I'm going back three years, right? They could have changed their rules. Six months is for somebody that had a previous violation and then left the pool. If you just leave the pool, say like Henry Cejudo, with no violations, you have four months back. We're splitting hairs. But it is a big deal that the current media report is saying six months for Connor. It's a big deal for one reason, which is just that feels long. 
one piece of excitement for anybody, but that Connor has always had is he could be back tomorrow. Connor could swoop in on short notice and be the one fighting Leon, not Kamara Usman. These kinds of ideas. Connor is going to come and take on Diaz off of a leg injury on July 2nd at International Fight Week. We believe these things. And six months is just more difficult. Now, that's not insurmountable, but it does put Connor in a different position. I'm sure Connor has the answer. I'm just sharing with you, I'm looking forward to seeing what it is. There's a number of stars that will come through Hollywood. They're making music videos, they're doing commercials, they're doing spots on TV shows, and they're married or they're engaged. And the director will have them take that ring off. And the director will openly tell them that for the viewer, it's very important that they believe they have a shot with you. No matter how untrue, it's important that the fans who are sitting and watching you and buying your magazines and seeing your music videos think they have a shot with you. And if you wear a ring and you show that you're off the market, it could hurt us marketing-wise. I realize those examples aren't the same, but I think it's one that you would understand. I think it's one that you would understand. If you're going to cling to and the hope of and the want back of Conor McGregor, you must be able to believe that you can have it. You're not going to cheer for the return of a guy who was openly retired and left the sport. Now, again, none of these are negatives. It's just a situation that Conor didn't know he was going to find himself in. He didn't know that USADA and company was going to reveal that he'd been removed to the pool. He could just keep doing the same thing that he's doing and then secretly make sure that the dates line up. I mean, that was the plan. That's what he was operating under. And by the way, Connor comes out and he looks big. And then it gets revealed that he's not in the USADA testing pool. Connor's taking anabolic agents. No, no, guys. Two plus two does not equal four. Not if that's your two and you're adding it to the other two. I mean, it's just not that way. Connor did not look overly strong. By the way, that's not what you saw in those pictures. You saw a guy that was bloated. Why would he be bloated? Well, he's bloated because he's not sweating out six pounds a day like he's, his body's used to doing and had done every day for the last decade. So it retained a whole lot of water weight. I mean, first off, I'm just sharing with you what those pictures look like. Oh, no, Chael, look closer. He's ripped up. Connor's always been ripped up. Connor's always been blessed with good DNA in that great, big, strong body. Whether he's at 145 pounds, 153 pounds against Floyd, 155 pounds, 170 pounds against Cowboy Cerrone, he always has looked that way. You, you guys are forgetting. Well, Chael, we have more evidence that he's on anabolics. He's been removed from the USADA pool. Okay, let's take a look at that. Now, there's a few reasons you would want to be removed from the USADA pool. And first and foremost, for the life that somebody lives like Conor McGregor, where he's Conor's bouncing around, He's got homes in different countries, let alone media and obligation and sponsorships, and I promised I'd come sign an autograph around the world. With USADA, there is a whereabouts violation. This has been tested, and guys have gone down and lost their careers. For a whereabouts violation, you must fill out. People do this online. I just I, I just want to bring this to you, the colloquial, so that you, you do understand. This is done digitally online. You must say where you are 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. If you represent that you're going to be in your apartment at 9 p.m., you then decide you're going to get fourth meal and you run out to Taco Bell. Oh, and by the way, they happen to knock at your door. You are now in violation. 
Now, USADA is reasonable. These aren't the got you people. They're going to call you. They're going to be, oh, I ran over Taco Bell. Okay. Just so you understand that. However, per the rules, you're now in violation. You're not where you told us you would be. And a lot of people are organized enough. They'll log in and say, I'm going to Taco Bell. It's two miles up the road on 3rd Street. I should be back by 9.30. Some people will do that. But you see where that becomes a problem, particularly if you're Conor McGregor? You go to check into a hotel. You think you're in room 301. The guy from 301 broke something, so they moved you to 501. Now you're in 501, but you you forget to update the sheet. USADA knocks on 301. You're in violation because you're over here, even though you're in the same building. I mean, do, do you see where that would be terrifying? And do you see where if Conor McGregor had a whereabouts violation, you get three of those, it's an automatic fail. Three whereabouts violations, you are suspended. Nate Diaz, I apologize, Nick Diaz went through that. This is real. Two people, one American and one from Sweden, were eliminated from the Olympic Games in 2021, the last games that we had in Tokyo, for whereabouts violations. They weren't even guilty. They had nothing in their system. They just weren't organized. So if you want to stay on top of that, 365, when you know I'm not going to fight, Connor knows he's not going to fight. He's got a leg broken. You're telling me I got to wait six months. I'm telling you I got nine. You're six months to get me back. I have nine months right now. Now you do have the other side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is simply, I am going to listen to my doctor and I'm going to listen to him immediately. That could put me in violation of you. I don't know. A number of athletes are like that. I don't know. Demetrius Johnson had the greatest line ever. Demetrius Johnson said, I'm the champion of the world and I don't know what's allowed and what isn't. Which is the only reason all I put into my body is food and water. Okay, great. If you can do the Demetrius rule, you're all good. But if you're working with a doctor, particularly with with rehabbing something, you now have to do a level of research. Doctor says, I'm going to give you this. You say, okay, I've got a reference at. Now that isn't going to do it. You can't just put the name of the supplement versus... The banned list. You have to put the active ingredients of the supplement against the banned list. Oh, by the way, the doc's got the needle. He's about to shoot it in right now. This also got tested, BJ Penn. They made IVs illegal. BJ's never taken anything illegal. He wasn't even accused of insata suspension. He goes into the emergency room. The doctor instantly gives him an IV. Now, IV is not a substance. It's a form of administration. That became banned. It wasn't banned, and all of a sudden it was. They asked BJ a very honest question. Have you had an IV? BJ answered the question very honestly. They never said you took something illegal. They never said there was something banned in that. They said that form of administration is against the rules, and they suspended him. Three suspensions, you're done for life. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. Like, it's a very big deal. You can either absolutely adhere to the rules of USADA, or you are better, you are smarter, and you are more responsible to remove yourself from USADA. Somewhere within the whereabouts management required, and somewhere within wanting to be able to listen to a doctor immediately and not have to choose between my health and my career, which then quickly ties to your reputation, you just remove yourself. I'm out. There's penalties that come with it. By example, returning. I can't take short notice. I don't have the same opportunities. There's those kinds of penalties to the other side of you're talking about I got to sit six months. I'm telling you right now with this leg, I've got to sit nine. And as soon as you have that math, if you stay within the pool, that was the irresponsible move. Because all you can be is punished.
You can't be rewarded. You don't get to have a fight. You can't have a fight. I don't believe that Connor came up with that idea on his own. I believe his management looked into it, did the deductions, very similar, maybe possibly exactly, but very similar to what I just laid out, and gave him very good advice, which was for the time being and the rehab needed, take yourself out of the pool. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you're liking what you're hearing, I need you to do me a favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and give us a five-star rating. It goes a long way and will help me take this podcast to the next level. Please and thank you. I'll be back with more on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.